Christ's deity is expressed in this likeness. In other words, folks, this is the invisible God, right, becoming visible in Jesus Christ. So we have the image, the firstborn of all creation. Now, this speaks to Christ's preexistence. Yes, there are people, many, many people in this world that believe Jesus was created, that the birth, the incarnation, he was created. No, Jesus has always existed. He is the creator, not the created. Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Folks, firstborn does not necessarily mean the oldest child. It does not. It's, it revolves uh, or refers more to rank or position. And this, in the Old Testament, this position as firstborn was a priority. As a firstborn, you had um, leadership, possession of inheritance, a birthright. So for instance, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn son. And as the firstborn son should have had that birthright. But Reuben lost that birthright when he sinned against his father. And that birthright was moved to Joseph, his 11th son. So it's not about the firstborn, it's about priority. So he is the firstborn of creation, again, leading to preeminence. All things were created in heaven and on earth through him and for him. John 1.10, he was in the world. That's right, Jesus Christ was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He is before all things. This is the definition of preeminence, right? First in all things, the supremacy, sovereignty. In him, all things hold together. Folks, the position of our earth, right? Our very next breath, uh, his will for your life, a believer's exit from this world into eternity. Things we haven't even been able to see far away in the universe yet, right? Or even in our own oceans, he sustains his creation. He sustains all things. He's head of the body. That's the church. We are the body. He is the head. Again, preeminence, supremacy. He is the beginning. Jesus is the origin. He is the source of the creation and the firstborn from the dead. This, of course, refers to Jesus' resurrection and for believers in God's appointed time, our resurrection. Now, the usage of firstborn, whether it's attached to all creation or firstborn from the dead, again, suggests the primacy of Jesus. His importance is being emphasized and God in the highest. We sang that. At Christmas time, we sing God in the highest because he is supreme. So when we go back to the firstborn from the dead, again, Paul is referring to Jesus' resurrection as the forerunner for all true believers. 
So he is preeminent. He is first in all things. Verses 15 through 18 set the stage in understanding Jesus as supreme. Paul does a wonderful, wonderful job of breaking down Jesus' preeminence in these verses so that there is no hesitation and that there is no confusion as to who Jesus Christ truly is. And for our stability, we need to grasp who Jesus Christ truly is. The people in Colossae needed to understand who Jesus is, so Paul throws down, breaking it into parts, as to why he is our preeminent Lord and Savior, why he is supreme over all. And we're going to dive a little deeper now into why it's so important to grasp the knowledge that Jesus Christ is our stability, okay? All things, all things were mentioned like five times in this text. All things. He created all things. Uh, All things were created through him and for him. Oh, he is before all things. He holds all things together. He reconciles to himself all things. Now, there's got to be something to this all things, right? The reconciliation of all things in his body of flesh, that is his death. That is his death where he reconciles. And the Bible says, and you, talking to the people of Colossae, but I'm talking to you, brothers and sisters, and you, you are a member of, and a part of all things. Some people don't grasp this. There's only one creator. We have God up here. Folks, heavenly angels created. Demonic angels created. Satan created. Believers created. Non-believers created. All creation created. There is only one creator. But we live in a world that denies that creator and places everything wonderful, existence, life, into other thoughts and theories. But we stand knowing the knowledge that there is one creator, and that is Jesus Christ. We have our God to thank for that. You know what? He did when he reconciled all things to himself. It was in order, or here's why, it was in order to present you and I holy, blameless, and above reproach. If you remember, we have been qualified by God, we were delivered by God, and we were transferred by God. That's what happened when we were reconciled. Now, it is important for me to state this, very important. When Paul talks about reconciliation of all things, he is not talking about universalism. We are not talking about a universal salvation. That is not the case here. Scripture clearly presents that message to us that not all things, people, um, will be saved. So reconciliation, we need to remember that it is to be understood as the restoration of our relationship with God through the faith that we have in Jesus. That's the reconciliation, the restoration of our relationship with God through the faith we have in Jesus. However, as Jesus reconciles himself, right, to himself, excuse me, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, he is making peace by the blood of his cross. This takes, every time I think of the blood of his cross and that peace being made, I can't help but think of the incarnation 
that we celebrated at Christmas, and of course, the resurrection day that we'll celebrate in Easter, the blood of this cross. Now, he is making this peace, and guess what? Christians, this will affect all things. It doesn't just affect believers. The peace of his cross will affect all things. Now, for believers, this means that our present reconciliation, we are friends of God. And I don't know how we worked that out, but we sang a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. We are friends of God through that reconciliation. But for non-believers, even demonic powers, which I mentioned last week, if you remember, we talked a lot about the demonic forces at work. They are under Christ's reign. Now, you may not say, well, wait a minute now. You said the devil's kind of ruling. Yeah, he is ruling. But they all are under Christ's reign. His peace will be enforced on them, suppressing, crushing the rebellion against God and his purposes. Folks, the cosmos has been disrupted, and the cosmos needs to be reconciled with its creator. That means all things will be reconciled. All things So yes, demonic powers, Satan will be crushed because of the peace that Jesus brought. Believers, true believers will be saved. All things will be affected. It wasn't just believers. The whole creation. That's how big our God is. So all things are subject to the creator. We cannot get past that. We cannot get around it. That is truth. Now while this is hard for us to comprehend, that is, the peace that Jesus brought through his blood and what it does, it affects everything, all things, in heaven and on earth. That, my friends, that is amazing. That is amazing. Because Christ, as our reigning king, and you got to remember something here, we were delivered into the kingdom of the Son, were we not? Weren't we transferred into the kingdom of the Son? So, Our reigning king, Christ, right, will defeat that rebellion. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The rebellion is defeated, but we will see that manifest as Christ returns. We will see that in its fullness. So what is the basis for peace, then, that is so universal? What is the basis for this peace? Well, it's the blood of his cross. The blood of his cross. The world will tell you, oh, no. It's a myth. It's a legend. It's not real. But for believers, we know the truth. We have the truth. The blood of his cross. Now, you know, it's interesting. Non-believers still have the opportunity. Angels don't need to be reconciled, folks. Let's go ahead and knock that out of the park. They don't need to be reconciled. Demonic powers and Satan cannot be reconciled. So we know who the reconciliation is for, the created order of mankind. So let's think about this for a sec. Non-believers still have the opportunity to be restored and washed clean by his blood. We know this. We know this because in verses 21 and 22, they reveal that we who were washed clean by the blood of his cross, right? We who are reconciled by Jesus, we were once alienated, We were once hostile. We were once doing evil deeds. But through Jesus, we are presented as holy, blameless, and above reproach. It's Jesus who places us in that standing. We surely couldn't do that. This is Jesus' work. 
He is our rock. 2 Samuel 22:47. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Psalms 62, 6 and 7. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Now, praise God, yes. And you know what? You may be going, well, okay, Pastor, what are you doing here? Well, I'm establishing the preeminence like Paul did because we're about to find out why we stand on this preeminent Lord and Savior. I watched a video. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't search for it. When you're online, these things just pop up. And this video popped up of these three little, um, they're called uh, clip springers. I don't know if you've ever heard of a clip springer. It's a small antelope. And there's three of them. And there's this pack of wild dogs trying to attack them. Well, not trying, they're attacking them. And these clip springers, there's this giant, I mean, this thing must be 12, 14 feet tall. It's a huge rock, just as tall as it is wide, massive. And it's not exactly 90 degrees, but brother, let me tell you, it might as well have been. That's how steep this rock was, okay? And these three little antelope have their feet firmly planted on the side or the face of this rock. Looking at it, it looks like they were painted on there. Because like rams and sheep on mountainsides, you wonder, how did they get there? Are they going to fall? It's so steep. But they found refuge. They found protection standing on this rock. All three of them facing the same direction. Feet together. And I mean, this rock, it, you and I couldn't have done it. We would have slid right off. The dogs are uh, below jumping up towards them. They're running up and down the sides by this rock trying to get to them. And they make it up top and they're swiping at it from the top. They keep coming over and coming back because they're so steep they're scared to fall. These three antelope were surrounded by these wild dogs. The only protection they had was where their feet were planted on that rock. And I'm telling you, it was steep. That's why those animals couldn't get to them. And I looked at that video and I said, oh my goodness, that is me in Christ. That's where I stand. And there could be attacks all around me. There can be grave danger, but here I am standing on this rock, protected from it. And I was so moved by this video that I had to mention it. Because see, they were able to stand upon this rock and they were able to seek its protection because you know what it was? It was a solid foundation. And that's who Jesus is to us. That's why we established his preeminence right at the beginning. Rocks in Scripture. Rocks in Scripture. Rocky areas, rocky crevices, caves, right? People often found themselves hiding in these rocky areas, whether in hiding or even in battle, they offered protection and strength. We see this throughout the Old Testament, especially with David. So the word and idea of the rock resonates deeply with God's people because we know what that means. In studying the Psalms, it's easy to see that David, let's talk about David for a second, he's not just placing his hope in caves or rocky crevices, but in God himself. See, the rocks were just a way in which God chose to help David. He offered the provision of protection through these rocks. That's how he chose to help David. But it's God who is identified as the rock, and that is exactly who Jesus 
is to believers. So our stability in our Christian life is fully dependent on who our rock is. For those of the faith, we are grounded in Christ. And for good reason. Why? Because his supremacy, because of his preeminence. He is the solid foundation for you and I to seek shelter, to find rest, and of course to build upon. Because we build our lives upon that rock. Matthew 7, 24, 27, you guys know this. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great, great was the fall of it. Folks, do you see here that both received the winds, both received the rains and the floods? One stood and one fell. We have to open our eyes to this clearly presented message. Paul was saying, if you are truly saved and built on the solid foundation, Jesus Christ, then you will continue in the faith and nothing will move you. Nothing. You have heard the gospel and you have trusted Jesus Christ and he has saved you. So you are firmly planted. Think of this little antelope. You are firmly planted You are grounded. You are settled in. But then we get to verse 23. Oh, verse 23 is a doozy. I don't know if you picked up on it, but I'm going to break it down for you. It's a whopper. We had these two words, if indeed. Now that can throw somebody for a loop. That can throw somebody. If you continue, right, if indeed you continue in the faith. See, the if of verse 23, it can be confusing. It truly can. This verse is not saying that we will be presented holy and blameless if we remain faithful, right? As if our eternal salvation depends on our performance, on our merit, on our works. That's not what it's saying. If is not an expression of doubt here, folks. If is is an expression of confidence and is better translated using the words, like a word, since. Like, if you think about it like this, Paul assumes that the Colossians' confidence, right, and their faith will continue on. He's actually not doubting their confidence. He's not doubting their continuance in the faith. See, this if is not an if of the future. Well, if? you continue in the faith? I mean, if you do this and if you were to do that? No, this if is of the past. So we can translate this if as since. Since, indeed, you continue in the faith. Or you can look at it like this. If you continue in the faith, which you will most assuredly do. See, there's no question about them continuing. So this if, indeed, it can really throw you for a loop. See, our reconciliation, folks, is an accomplished fact. It's done. That is done. 
There is no uncertainty about the believer's reconciliation because we were qualified, we were delivered, and we were transferred. And Paul is not doubting. He is not doubting whether the Colossians will remain faithful. Here's how I know that. In Colossians 2.5, for though, Colossians 2.5, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. See, he is confident that because they have understood what it means to be reconciled, that they will remain faithful to the gospel that reconciled them. He writes this as an expression of confidence and as a warning. I love warnings. This warning is to avoid the religious fads, to avoid the teachings of false teachers that were happening in Colossae. See, continuance Continuance is proof of conversion. The Colossians continuing in the faith show just how real their faith is. So this if is a condition. I will say it again because I need this to be understood. This if, indeed, it sets us up into a condition. And a conditional statement here, this conditional statement, gives us warning. It provides opportunity for Christians to examine themselves. See, believers do not need to worry about our reconciliation, but if indeed, you know what it does? It moves us to consider whether we are indeed fulfilling that condition. Are we fulfilling that condition? See, the condition of if offers those who might be tempted to place their confidence somewhere else or for those who have been influenced by false teachings uh, and drifted from the confidence in the gospel, excuse me, to seek the Lord's grace again. J.I. Packer, he was a writer, he was a theologian. And I like the way he puts it. He states this, the only proof of past conversion is present convertedness. Isn't that true? The continuing of the Colossians' faith shows how real their faith actually is. And that may sound elementary, just coming full circle. But you got to think about what's happening here in Coloss. And I'm going I'm to go over that in just a sec. But let me, let me interject something. A tree will bear its fruit. We can all agree with that. A tree will bear the fruit that that tree is going to bear. A Christian's faith will be made known by the Christian's life. That's true. My continuing in the faith will be because of my faith and hope in the gospel. Can your faith be shaken, though? Absolutely, your faith can be shaken. We're not talking about losing our salvation here, folks. Salvation is intact. But yes, our faith can be tested, and it will, and our faith can be shaken. This is why I enjoyed studying the condition of these words, if indeed. Because it's all about self-examination. It's all about renewed confidence in the truth of the gospel. Are you fulfilling this condition? Because the gospel is the only hope for mankind, folks. And hear this. At every point in every place in our lives, we have got to exercise faith in Jesus. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. You've got to remember those crossroads. You got to remember those forks that we all face. They're different, but we all approach them. 
So let's talk about Colossae for a minute. The reason Paul is establishing the preeminence of who Jesus is, establishing the reconciliation and who we stand upon, and in our continuing faith, Colossae was being bombarded by false teachings, such as Greek philosophies, human teachings, right? Bombarded by Gnosticism. Gnostics were everywhere. That means they were presenting this flavor of the week. It's a special knowledge that saves. Only knowledge saves. Gnosticism was very prevalent. And then, of course, you had your legalists from the Jewish community. Jewish legalism. You've got to adhere to our dietary laws. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow our customs and our festivals. So here comes Paul, and he's combating these heresies by emphasizing the supremacy and the preeminence of Jesus Christ, who is our rock. So he is the rock on which we stand. He has reconciled you and I, all things, he has reconciled all things, to him. So we continue in the face a faith, excuse me, stable and steadfast. We're not shifting. We're not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So when we are standing at those crossroads, we are not swayed by other teachings. When we uh, are influenced by fads, right? When we, when we approach these forks in the road, inevitable, we are not uh, influenced by fads, we're not influenced by cultural acceptance. We're not influenced by religions that compromise the gospel by allowing the world to assign it meaning or dismiss it altogether. Folks, turn on the TV, log on to your computer. If you want to hear heresies, you'll hear heresies. I made it a point this week to search for the craziest things I could ever hear on the internet. They're there. You know they're there celebrating worldly things, worldly thought, these people become the creators. They've placed themselves in the position of God, and they dismiss him altogether. And this book has to be redefined. We have to redefine this book if we're going to be accepting or accepted. No. We stand on the rock. Our God is unchanging, therefore we are unchanging. We are unmovable. Now, they're going to infiltrate. The heresies are coming. They're going to get worse. But we're standing on the rock. We are protected. We have sought refuge, and we are on the most solid foundation we can be. This is why we are allowed to be stable and steadfast. Let's recap. Paul wants to expound on the beloved son. We know who that is. Who is he? Well, I'll tell you who he is. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, all things in heaven and on earth. He created them, and they were created through him, and yes, for him. He is before all things, and he holds all things together. He is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, folks. He is supreme. And everything, Jesus, the beloved Son, is preeminent. He made peace by the blood of his cross, and in doing so, reconciled to himself all things in heaven and on earth. After, no, excuse me, although the Colossians were once alienated, because this is his audience, 
He's saying you were once alienated, you were hostile, you were evil, but through his death, Jesus presents them to God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. We too, church family, we place ourselves in this text. We look at his preeminence. We look at his act here of reconciliation. He presents us, folks, this is not only in the future. You ready for this? This is not only in the future. He is presenting us right now, holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's who Jesus is. This is the gospel that we have all heard, and this is why we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. That means you and I don't shift from this hope. You can be bombarded all day long with new teachings and new fads, and if you want to be culturally relevant, you've got to agree with what we agree on. No, you're unmovable because you will not shift from that hope. This is continuing the faith, which reveals your faith is absolutely real. You know, the rains will come, the winds will come, the floods will come. They'll come to both. The wise and the unwise, they had to endure all three of those. Both of them did. One fell, but one stood strong. One stood stable and steadfast. As we continue in the faith, folks, the reason we continue with faith is because of who our faith is in, and that is Jesus, our rock. So, I want something to happen for you. I want to let this uh, conditional statement of if indeed you continue in the faith, I want it to stir you into self-examination. Are you a Christian who is truly fulfilling this condition? Are you coasting? Are you going through the motions? Is your faith, is it real? Because I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of people in the church today who come to church to come to church. Faith is not a priority. So continuing in it is not a priority, but it's the thing to do. And you've heard me say this. I often say this many times. Just because I stand in a garage, that does not make me a car. Just because I come to church does not make me a Christian. How do we know our faith is real? You have no idea how many conversations I've had with people. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I have the faith. And one of the marks of a true believer is, are you continuing in the faith? Because if you're not, maybe, maybe there wasn't any in the begin with. There's a lot of professing Christians out there, folks. You know them. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, I was saved 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, I'm good with God. Well, what are you doing now? I'm just living my life. Or are you continuing the faith? Well, what do you mean by that? The continuing with the faith, folks, it shows our faith is real. Um, I used to have a computer, Windows computer. I'm a Mac guy now. What's up? So... I had this computer, and on Windows, it always showed these pictures that would come up. And you could say, oh, I like that screensaver or, or that, well, I don't know what you call it, wallpaper. There it is. And I'm a tree guy. I love trees, and I love mountains, and I love snow. So I had all these pictures of cool trees on hillsides. One of my favorites was a, uh, uh, the mountains of Switzerland, okay? In fact, the fir tree, the tree I like, the fir tree, it is the state tree there. It's their national symbol. Um, the hillsides, this picture of the hillsides are terraced. They're row upon row of these beautiful firs. And the, tr uh, the tree here that we're known for, if you don't know that, is the oak. We have all kinds of oaks. And what's interesting about the oak tree is that it is said that the roots can grow down just as far deep 
as the tree goes up to, to support the sturdy, massive sides of these trees. The roots can grow just as deep. But I was like, wait, these trees, these beautiful firs on this mountains, they're, they're being hit by snows, heavy winds, and I know for a fact the roots can't grow too deep because there's rock. So what happens to these roots? There is depth to them, but what happens is that these trees, when they cannot grow downward, their roots grow outward and they intertwine with the roots of other trees, further creating stability. Now you may be asking, why are you bringing up trees where their roots connect? Where there's stability on that hillside with the snows and the winds, their stability depends on their corporate fellowship as well as their personal depth. And I said, my goodness, that's our church, that's us. God puts people in our very lives for purpose and reason, and one of those is so that our roots, when they're not as deep, can grow outward and intertwine with each other. Do you realize that you help me in my stability in my Christian walk? And I can help you. And that's the beautiful thing about these connecting roots is yes, we want personal depth. We want to stand strong. But God places people in our lives to help with that stability. Church, we need to embrace that truth right there. So let's talk application. Let's talk application. Pastor, what are you doing with all this? Tell me what you want me to do with it. Let the words, if indeed... Let them lead you to examine your personal Christian walk. People hate that, by the way, when pastors say that. I get it. It is scary to examine your own personal Christian walk because you're going to see flaws. You're going to see where, oh, I'm not exercising faith in this area at all. But this is something that a Christian, a true believer, has to do. And you got to think, is this condition of faith continuing? Is this condition being met in your life? So you want to allow these words to be a warning for the heresies also, because these heresies will attempt to infiltrate, like I said before, they're going to infiltrate your mind and heart. They're everywhere. Not too long ago, I had a young man tell me that here's heaven and hell. It's when you die, your brain continues on. All the memories and everything continues on. And I said, well, science that, science that you embrace has told me that you have to have blood and oxygen for that member of the body to continue on. No, no, you could be decapitated and that brain's gonna keep working and that is your heaven and hell. Can you believe that? Nobody told me that. That's their reality, that's their belief. Huh. So you're gonna be infiltrated, folks, mind and heart. But I want, let this condition do something. Let this condition be confidence for you. Let you renew your confidence in Jesus because you gotta remember, it's not about doubt. These two words are all about confidence. Since you continue in the faith, most assuredly you will continue in the faith. And let these words remind you of the people in your life, in your church, whose roots that you can connect with to further your stability in your Christian walk. You are not in this alone, folks. If you look to God, he is all about relationship. Look at the Trinity. He's all about relationship. If you think for a second he wanted you to come into his, his, be delivered to his kingdom and walk that path alone, you're crazy. No, he wants us to do it together. So those roots, those people further our stability. 
And our faith is placed, folks, and this is the most important, our faith is placed in the supremacy and preeminence of Jesus, who is our rock. So he is our solid foundation, and because of this, he makes us able to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. It's not like we wake up and go, oh, I'm going to be stable today. Check my steadfast outness. It's going to be better than yesterday's. No, it's because of his solid foundation. It's because of Jesus Christ. So what's a Christian to do? It's simple. Continue in the faith. That's just too simple. Let's go on. Because our faith is real, because our faith is real, we continue in the faith. Another way to look at it is this. Our continuance reveals our genuineness. Folks, who would continue in the faith if they didn't believe it was real? If it wasn't working, who would want to continue? So we know that it's the real thing. So we're not protected from the rains. We're not protected from the winds. We know that we have to stand in storms, don't we? As Christians, we face loss, despair, hard times, stress. So many of you are so stressed. I know. I hear it. We're right there. Uh, which way do I go? God's promises or this? I don't know what to do. My faith is shaken. My faith is, is it's, it's, it's little. We have got to remember who it is that you built your house upon. You have to remember who you built your house upon. We have to remember that the gospel that you and I believe, and we have to remember who it is that you placed your trust it's easy for things to happen and we immediately forget the rock and the place and the person that we've put our trust in. It's easy to do. But our foundation, that's Jesus. Folks, he is stable and he is unmovable. Our God is unchanging. So, as we continue in the faith, we find ourselves stable and unmovable and unchanging. As we continue in the faith, folks, and this fills, this, excuse me, this fulfills, this fulfills the condition of if indeed. And again, our continuance reveals our genuineness. I think that's an amazing, amazing way to look at this scripture, to know that we are continuing in the faith because that faith is real. That if indeed is a past event, we're just continuing in that past event. One day, soon, hopefully, when we meet Jesus face to face, we'll be able to experience fully what Paul was writing about in this preeminence. But for now, we believe the truth of it, his supremacy, we build our lives upon it, and we continue in the faith because he is our stability. He is our steadfastness. Even when we have bumps in the road, even when we get to the crossroads, he remains stability for us. He remains the rock. He remains that solid foundation. If we indeed continue in the faith, since we continue in the faith, use this as self-examination. Use this as warning signs for yourself. Use if indeed to stir you to truly look at your life and see if you are fulfilling this condition. That's what we're doing when we continue in the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this, this text. I was inspired, Lord. I was moved, and I was encouraged. 
Those words threw me for a long time. And I saw that if, Father, as my works. I saw that if as my responsibility. I saw that if as, as if I don't do this and I don't do that, well, then I don't get in and that's not the case. Father, you have inspired and encouraged us in confidence because we get to renew our faith every time we face a wall, every time we face a hardship. We get to access our rock. We get to access our solid foundation in which we stand. That's you. And when we do that, Father, we find ourselves stable. We find ourselves ready to be steadfast no matter what comes. Because you are our God. You are unchanging. You are unmovable, Father. You are the rock in which we stand. And Father, I don't want us to forget that. You've given us the Son, the Son who has created everything, the creator of all, including us. He's also the one who will bring us home and resurrect us. We are in his hands. We don't need to fear. We still do, but we don't need to. Our faith should be steady, but we know, Lord, our faith will be shaken. We know that there will be times where we have questions. But Father, no matter what crossroads or what fork, however you want to visualize it, let us see that we are always stable and steadfast when we are continuing in the faith that we heard from the beginning. The gospel truth, Father, about you, about Jesus Christ, your Son, Father, we thank you for the beloved son. We thank you for our rescue. We thank you for the deliverance and the transfer and the qualification. We thank you for reconciling us to you. It was your work. It's all of your work. Let us continue in that faith, Father, no matter what we face. That's my prayer for this church today. Lord, we thank you for these, this day. We thank you for the music, Lord, the message, uh, Lord, the the be able to talk to you right now in prayer. We are grateful. We love you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.